0: Hello and welcome to this week's BossCast. I'm Andrew Teacher. I'm the founder of Blackstock Consulting and Managing Director for Real Estate and ESG at Montford. I'm joined today by Stephen Medway, who's the Chief Executive of the Knightsbridge Partnership and Kings Road Partnerships, which are two new business improvement districts that have been set up in West London. Stephen comes from a background in retail, he's been a long-standing figure in the London retail community. Stephen, fantastic to see you this afternoon. Now let's start by going over some of your experience in the world of business improvement districts and in the world of landed estates and you most recently were at cadogan before that you were at usn company tell us about some of your experiences there some of the things that you've seen and some of the things that you're hoping to do at knightsbridge partnership and kings road partnership well thanks for having me this afternoon andrew it's great to be here
1: yeah if we go back to the new S N company i was there about seven years ago now when i first started and before that i was in retail so I'd worked in the West End for a good 10 years before I joined and, you know, learn all of my tools of the trade, as it were, when I was at Gap. And it was actually, you know, Jace Tyrrell, I'm sure many people know uh, who Jace is, uh, welcomed me into the world of New West End Company. And I think, you know, it was a great stepping stone for where I am now. And it was an exciting time to join because the Olympics was just around the corner mm. and i think you know the west end and
0: oxford street particularly was at its height it was you know buzzing and it was really exciting probably, so to be I mean, me- probably is, yes final peak period wasn't it that sort of 5 year stretch from 2012 to 2016
1: yeah, you know, and there were some exciting things happening, and I think you know all these new brands that were there, you know, they weren't the empty units that you see today. So to join a business that represents those businesses was a fantastic opportunity, and you know it was a newly created role, and I was able to bring in my skill set of understanding retail and customer service to the world of uh, the, well, the bid world in the West End,
0: mm. and there were a few quite cool things that you're involved with well, we haven't got time to go through all of them but let's pick a couple of the most relevant and one of the ones that stuck out for me something that i've been passionately talking about for five years we've been running this podcast is air quality you developed the first ever business-led air quality strategy with nwec tell us what that entailed and is that something you think the industry is still a little bit behind on now well bearing in mind
1: i think this was what Maybe seven years ago, we launched this. And, you know, back then, it was one of the first. Mm. And I think we saw an opportunity here. You know, we had access to these 600 businesses across the district. All of them, you know, have a role to play to improving air quality. I think, you know, one of the biggest campaigns for Enwreck at that time was reducing the amount of buses that go down Oxford Street. Mm. You know, one way of reducing air quality. But I think, you know, individual businesses we saw could play their own role. And it was mainly through you know, some of the indirect impacts of commercial vehicles entering the area through deliveries, you know, that many businesses getting daily deliveries to
0: service those customers. It's so a lot of air pollution coming in. Mm. That and also waste as well being taken away, presumably.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, Bond Street, for example, you know, one of the first initiatives we launched through the air quality strategy through funding TFL was to reduce the amount of waste vehicles operating on Bond Street. I think at the time when we did the audit, there was about 50 odd. Would you imagine 50 odd different waste businesses operating on one street? Which well, is also just hugely bloody inefficient. Well, yeah, it? completely. Now, you know, when you see that across a lot of the sector in that world. But what we were able to do through the bid and our partnering and engaging with the businesses is reduce that from 50-odd
0: down to four. So just through group procurement.
1: Yeah, and it was what we call the preferred supplier scheme. So obviously the council have their operation that support the commercial businesses. And then we opted for one or two other businesses that we would go out and say, these are preferred suppliers. Mm. And it worked incredibly well. You know, we saw a real impact for those businesses.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that I quite like was the... UK's first smart street that you also helped develop and create. What did that look like?
1: Yeah, this was a fun project. And I think it was built to be a, a temporary moment. Because, you know, if you walk down Oxford Street, you've got a lot of these little smaller streets that are probably being very unproductive. The are many service streets. There was antisocial behaviour happening. And I suppose what we wanted to champion is that actually with a different... Thought process,
0: quite nicer. Use, I mean, I quite like the fact that if you meet someone at Spanish Bar, lots of people don't know about Spanish Bra. Um, <laughs> yeah, those sort of things. But there was the fact that they're quite hidden is often quite good.
1: Yeah, and there was. Well, this one was just down from Selfridges. It was called Bird Street, and we just wanted to work with new technology, new ideas to create a smart street that created interest, but also pushed the boundaries of what you could do on a small street. Yeah, yeah. It was an exciting project. It was only temporary. You know, we did some pop up retail, which was I think before pop up retail became what we know it today and we used for some fun smart technology we worked with a company where they use kinetic energy where you walk over some tiles and it drives the energy for the lights and things around mm-hmm. so yeah, it was a fun exciting project
0: um so you, you then spent some years at cadogan focusing on chelsea with a huge amount of investment going into sloan street and king's road and duke of york square and of course pavilion road which has has won multiple awards what was some of your Challenges there, and what did you learn from that time? I think Cadogan was a, a fantastic environment to learn from.
1: You know, the team there are fantastic. You know, and you talk about Pavilion Road winning all those awards. There's a reason that because there's this fantastic team that sits behind them that have developed that concept to what it is today. Mm. And I think you know some of the challenges when I arrived and with the King's Road, the mixed ownership. Certainly, the end where Cadogan was, it was very well managed, and you know it had the investment. But the challenge was just pulling the whole of the street together. And I think, you know, at that time, four or five years ago, there was talk that had the King's Road lost its way, had it had its moment. And the challenge was reinvigorating and reinventing the King's Road and using it as heritage and all of that history to really, really make it a place for people to want to come and spend money and enjoy and, and live. And I think over the last few years, we've delivered that. You know, we've repositioned it. And it's seen as a, you know, a much younger vibe, I think mm. also, you know, the outside alfresco dining that was delivered over the last couple of years has created a really exciting environment. You know, I don't know if you've been down there recently, but certainly on a Saturday, there's a real buzz of people, whether it's at the food market or just enjoying, you know, being out and open. Sloan Square, who'd have thought they'd ever have pop-up bars on Sloan Square, but that happens every summer now. You know, so there's some of these big changes that have happened within that
0: area that have made it exciting and fun to go and visit. And what's also slightly, well, it's a good thing, but it's slightly paradoxical that COVID in some respects, pandemic, has been, there have been some positive outcomes. Whilst there have been obviously many, many horrible, terrible outcomes from it, there have been a few positives in that it has focused people on the hyperlocal and probably reinvigorated people's appreciation of open spaces, local retailers, and many of those super creative, entrepreneurial businesses that are the the real glue in communities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we learned a lot over COVID. And I think the positive of that was people exploring the outside space and what is on their doorstep. Yeah. You know, if we go back to the first lockdown, you could only shop in your area. You had that hour to go. And, you know, Pavilion Road, we're talking about again, it was full of people, you know, shopping at the butchers, the bakers and everything. And it was fantastic to see. And I think we built, on that, and you know, pedestrianised it so it could be fully used as fresco dining. But I think, yeah, you're right, and I, I think also the mentality of locals and the local authority changing their view on how outside space is used. And I think you know that's now moving even further forward, and it's fantastic to
0: see. Mm. And so, in terms of Knightsbridge Partnership and the Kingsway Partnership, so these are two business improvement districts. Just for anyone listening to this that doesn't quite know what a bid does can you just give us an elevator pitch yeah i think when anyone asks me what do i do i work for a bid. they, they never know
1: and i always have to you know talk through it and the easy thing i'd normally say is it's a marketing and management company that operates and looks after a district mm. but a bid in itself in its truest form is a way of bringing together a destination that has mixed ownership that is predominantly retail or hospitality-led with the office sector. And it's a way of bringing together a collective of people under one vision and one plan and will drive investment. So for the Kings Road, for example, through the levy that we will generate through the five-year term, we've got just over £4 million worth of investment to deliver directly to that destination. Knightsbridge at £6 million. And without the bid, that investment probably wouldn't happen. And it's all funded through the occupiers, so what we call our members. And we've got about just almost 600 across both partnerships across the area. Wow, um, so has
0: got a lot of people.
1: Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of businesses to look after and also show value. You know, we're there as a membership organisation delivering... On behalf of all of our members, Mm. the key priorities that we set out in our business plan.
0: And you've got five key pillars of activities,
1: don't you? Yeah, we do. The first one actually was off the bat, because when we went into this, you know, this has been a three year programme of setting these up. We won the ballots last year with overwhelming majority, 90% for Knightsbridge and over 87% for Kings Road. But we were coming in off the back of COVID. The first pillar was about supporting businesses through the COVID recovery. And I think we've now changed that into just business recovery support. But, you know, it was looking at how do we generate and get people back to the area? And I think Kings Road, we were lucky. They bounced back much quicker. You've got that hype of that local customer, that affluent local customer that loved and enjoyed the area. Knightsbridge, we've got a bigger challenge. You know, without the tourism at that time, we had to really target and look at how we reposition and change and address that so looking at the measures of you know campaigns
0: that will will get people to come back and shop in the area Mm. and that leads on to another one of your pillars which is leveraging the benefits of the international sensor designation can you explain what that is and just again for anyone that isn't embroiled in bid land that might not know
1: yeah absolutely so the knightsbridge partnership is lucky enough to be one of only two Designated international centres in London in the Mayor's London Plan and the other one is the West End and really this is in, in planning terms it's like you've got international centres town centres and it's a way of I suppose in hierarchy giving these two areas More clout and being able to set them apart from everyone else. Do they
0: have different planning status? Can they do things more quickly?
1: Well, this is the bit that we're working on and what we're trying to leverage is actually we've got this status. Actually, how do we use it? How do we really make a difference? And it
0: could be deregulating nighttime economy. It could be presumption in favor of planning consent for relatively minor alterations, those sorts, that's what I would...
1: It could be, or it could be looking at, you know, the resources that are given to that area. So, you mm. know, if you think about the council and the resources they give from a waste, or the police, for example, you know, these are high-profile areas that get a lot of footfall, a lot of tourism from around the world, and we mm. want them to look the best they possibly can. Yeah, and, and, uh,
0: actually, and also I'm guessing you would argue there's a halo effect for other areas, because uh, you know, the challenge you're going to get right now, Steve Medway, is that people from less affluent areas are going to say, well, why should these areas in West London, why should they be getting additional support from the London mayor when I need that support?
1: It's a good question, Andrew. And I think, you know, these areas of London are key to the success of London. And also, you know, if London's successful, then the rest of the UK is successful. And I think, you know, we have some of the best hotels and retail within these areas, and they need protecting. Because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't want them to deteriorate and not be the fantastic places they are so that's why these sort of policies are put in place to almost protect these precious areas that are seen around the world as places where people want to come and Mm. experience so i think that's the reason why and i don't think it's detrimental to other areas at all but it's just maintaining their position i suppose because of how they're
0: perceived globally and you also mentioned working with tfl transport for london working with the police and the mayor and other communities. And crucially, you've got two pretty prominent councils now, Westminster City Council and Kensington and Chelsea. And that's obviously going to be slightly challenging given the differing political outlooks across West London. How are you going to be focusing on harnessing the power of partnerships? What is that actually going to look like?
1: Yes, you're right. The Knightsbridge Partnership has a, you know, an invisible line, the boundary for both Westminster and K&C. And I think historically, and you see this with a lot of boundary areas, they get left and forgotten about in a way. And this is one of the
0: problems in planning, isn't it? It's just, this is why people often don't build around those overlapping areas. And it's just, I mean, I authored the report, uh, when was this, eight years ago, calling for london to be reduced to five planning areas loads of people thought it was a great idea loads of people thought it was an absolutely terrible idea i remember the editor of the aj wrote a column in property week saying what a horrible and terrible report i'd written but <laughs> i stand by the uh i stand by the suggestion of, of turning london into a five borough city like new york for that main reason but anyway less about me more about you
1: yeah you know and this is one of the reasons why the bid was created it's like pulling together mm. the two local authorities, TfL and the police, working collectively on the same common good, as it were. Yeah, And I think, you know, we see it as simply as the way that the waste is collected on the streets. You know, you've got one regime one side and one regime the other. But, you know, we feel really confident from the conversations we've had with both local authorities that we can resolve this and move forward. And I don't think the politics is at play here. You know, they both said they will want to work together for the benefit of the area and the district. And, you know, and that's the role that I and the partnership will play is pulling these people together to show that when we work collectively and in partnership, we can deliver so much more.
0: So what can people of all faiths expect from the Christmas season, from the shopping, the events programme, And all of that other amazing stuff, which really is a big centrepiece of the events calendar that you'll have. Yeah, Christmas, you know, its the most important time of year for our members
1: and our businesses. So we need to make the most exciting destination to come and visit. And Chelsea does it better than anywhere else, I think. You know, very much a family event. You know, I was used to the big switch-ons at Oxford Street way back when, when we used to have Kylie and God knows all the other celebrities that used to come and switch them on. And it was very much, you know, an event where people would come and watch the app and then disappear. I think what you find in Chelsea, the King's Road switch-on, we close the street for the day, we've got fireworks, but it's very, very family orientated. You know, there's, if you've got kids, you want to come down and see the reindeers on the running track. But it's a great, great experience. And, you know, we've got Christmas lights, you talked about them. The delivery of getting Christmas lights is a long project that starts way back in february and you know i often get residents saying why are they up so early and it's like because it takes so long to put them up well yeah but we've got the major switch on on november the 19th and there's a whole host of activity whether it's horse-drawn carriage rides and we really engage the businesses that we work with to engage and deliver i think we've got the market Mm. coming back on the street it's a really really fantastic area and i think also this year for the first time on sloan square we'll have a christmas grotto and a Bavarian curling so lots of activity to enjoy when you come and
0: visit and how are the businesses dealing with the skills shortage because that you know we can't avoid this question because it's a big issue for everybody whether you're running pubs restaurants shops whether you're trying to build houses or roads the skills crisis just seems to be everywhere and the hospitality leisure has they've taken the brunt of this just because these often not highly paid jobs, they're seasonal jobs, and following different well, we don't need to get into politics on this podcast, but we all are aware of political positions on immigration that haven't been hugely helpful of this situation so what's the approach that your members are taking and how are they seeing it crucially
1: yeah it's one of the biggest challenges for our hospitality and leisure members actually post-covid and brexit all they've talked about is how they're struggling to fill the vacancies that they've got It's a big, big issue. So something we've partnered with New West End Company on, and thanks to Westminster City Council, they've given us a million pounds worth of funding through the COVID grants that the government gave them. And we've also sourced an extra two million pounds from the mayor of London to deliver this new Westminster Works, which is an innovative recruitment program for businesses within Westminster. It's a toolkit for our businesses to be able to recruit and go and find Mm. the people that can fill those skill gaps. And we've already got 70 businesses signed up, And we did our first jobs fair as well. We had over 400 potential new recruits. Mm. But I think what we're doing is looking at all aspects of the people that are looking for jobs. And I think we need to do that because of the skill gap and those that aren't able to come in and travel like they used to. We're having to look in in different areas and also get the business to realise that they've got to change the way that they operate and the way that they recruit for them to fill these positions. They can't just continue with the usual recruitment ways. Mm.
0: So, Steve, another issue where you have been quite vocal is around tax-free shopping, which is a big draw for international tourists, not just outside of Europe, now from Europe as well, following Brexit. But this tax-free status, it's again under risk, isn't it? it? You know, it's been brought back in, but there's a huge risk that it's going to be taken away again. Now, for people that are thinking about taking away, what is the case? Because, again, is there a sense that people might think, look, this is a tax break for rich people buying discretionary goods they don't necessarily need should we be subsidizing that what would you say to those people
1: well i'll put it very clearly when we had tax-free shopping we were in the same school as everyone else in terms of being a destination where people want to come and shop The moment the government took the decision, the awful decision, to take away tax-free, it made the likes of Milan, Paris, and these other shopping destinations more attractive to international shoppers to go and spend their money. Mm. London straight away became way more unattractive as a place and a destination to come and experience. And by bringing it back... You're opening it up to 450 million Europeans that can now see London and the UK as a place to say, do you know what, I'm going to go there and I'm going to benefit from this 20% tax reduction that I'll get on my shopping. Mm. And it just it opens up London, the UK as... It helps us drive our economy, and at the Knightsbridge, we've worked out and we've estimated that you know it could be worth up to five hundred million pounds worth of extra sales mm. a year. So certainly for my members, it's and something that's true, that
0: we've... people stay in hotels, buying dinner, and all the other things. Well,
1: no, that's through just purely. The tax-free. So we reckon that through the amount of sales that will be generated with the extra Europeans that we're coming, that's how much difference it will make.
0: Well, wow, that's a ton of money.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of money, and this is why we're also passionate about it. And I think you know it's not just London, but it's Manchester, it's Edinburgh, these other big cities that benefited from it. Every time you walk through the airport now, you know tax-free shopping is not what it used to be. <laughs> you know, and it's changed, and it's you know this should remain, and it's something that will benefit everyone. Certainly in my world.
0: And what are some of the other issues that you're going to be getting under the skin, or what are some of the other concerns that different members have around the current retail environment?
1: Well, I think, you know, tourism is a big factor. And as you know, tax free will help with that. But visas, you know, something we're looking at, and I know the government are looking, we're, we're campaigning, is making it easier for people from the gcc countries, so the middle east coming and enjoying london in a way that makes it without them having to go to a visa office and getting a visa and i think mm. that's
0: something that we're campaigning for to come into play next year it's um, frictionless when you go into dubai now i mean it's yes. a great experience yeah. i mean dubai is a great example of a country that's really recognized that that great experience at the border It's a long way, doesn't it?
1: It does, and I think you know there are countries out there that are fundamentally doing it better than we are. Mm. And as London, you know, we have to compete with these other global destinations. You talk about Dubai and the Middle East. You know, they're creating these massive grand malls and trying to replicate London and Paris. Obviously, they never will. But you know, it's now further competition than the usual New York, uh, Paris, and Milan.
0: It's a bit. It's as ridiculous as it is massive as it
1: is. (laughs) Pretty, uh... <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and is it real competition? It is. But, you know, if we don't wake up to this and actually sort out some of the fundamental issues of border control, getting access and coming into this country, it will just put people off.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what can people expect as we look towards 2023? What do you think some of the themes and trends are that are going to define retail and leisure? over the next year obviously we can't ignore the cost of living crisis there's always a risk that when you record any podcast like this there's going to be a totally new government in place by the time it goes live so we won't talk about that but looking ahead to 2023 and 2024 it's going to be a tough period isn't it for retail
1: yeah it is and you know if we believe the news and we think you know if there's a recession on the way and the cost of living it is going to impact people definitely and it's something that we need to be alive to I think the businesses that are going to survive are those that deliver the experience that people want to have. I think businesses are realising, you know, we've talked about online, omni-channel and all these things for so long and they're very important. But I think businesses have realised without bricks and mortar... You don't have a brand. People still want to go in and have that experience, touch the product and feel it. Whether they make the purchase there or not, they might make the purchase online. Yeah, but yeah. I think there's still that element and it's very important. So those businesses that realise that, I think, will certainly survive. Let's see how it plays out over the next year. Hopefully, you know, if tax-free shopping comes, there'll be a big tick. It'll entice more tourism to the area, which will offset probably the reduction in domestic spend. But, yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting couple of years.
0: No, that's no, all good points, Steve. So, I mean, look, finally, then, what can we expect you to deliver? What can we expect to see both of the different bids delivering over the next few years for those local businesses, for the landlords, and crucially for the people working, living, and shopping and dining and partying in the areas that you represent?
1: Well, you'll start to hear more about the Knightsbridge and Chelsea. You know, we're putting them back on the map. We want them to be destinations that people want to come and visit. You know, when they're setting out their weekend plans or their travel plans when they're coming, you know, Knightsbridge and Chelsea are up there as the top. Because I think what we have to offer with the cultural institutions, some of the best hotels and retail, all in one area, and you know, all within 15-minute walks, but with a very London feel. You know, if you think they're all villages, in a sense with these fantastic retail destinations in the middle. And I think we can amplify and champion that. Some of the other things you'll start to see, is we want to really work hard with TFL and the local authorities in improving the Brompton Road, you know, that big motorway that runs all the way down the street. Oh, yes, and we, yes. Yeah, you know, it's not great. You come out of Knightsbridge tube station and you say, oh, is this Knightsbridge? Certainly if it's your first time there, you expect this beautiful area. And it is in places, but we've got a lot of work to do. So working with TFL on how we can improve the area for pedestrians widening the pavements making the crossings much safer so people come there and enjoy but we Mm. talked about
0: similar to what's being funded in sloan street isn't it
1: It is, yeah. Cadogan are funding their £40 million public realm, you know, to make Sloan Street the best luxury destination for shopping. And I think, you know, we can learn and build and use that as a benchmark of how we can start to replicate that. But we talked about Pavilion Road earlier as being this, you know, this fantastic place to visit. I see that as a pause point, you know, in these busy, bustling retails, you need pause points, places where you can rest and enjoy. And, you know, we're identifying uh, Knightsbridge Green as a potential one. And, you know, the there's already space between Harrod's and zara's another place, but the more of those places we can create... to meditate
0: breastfeed exactly brush yeah,
1: the feet. do whatever you want you know there's places to get out of the hustle and bustle to enjoy dwell you know dwell's a big big part of what we try and deliver in terms of improving it, so you'll start to see those chasing greening greening's very important and something we want to explore with the local authorities of how we can you know make it less of a concrete jungle mm. and more and, of a and place urban to be. greening is
0: certainly something that A number of the big fashion brands are getting behind, many retailers are. And I think as we turn on the TV news and we look at floods and droughts, we're secretly glad it's not affecting us here. I think there obviously are things that we can do to enhance the public realm and help keep areas cool. Exactly. And I think, you know,
1: we can learn from other cities around the world that are doing this pretty well. And I think, you know, that's where we can work with the Mayor of London on some of these big initiatives.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, it sounds like there's lots going on, Stephen, and you're obviously going to be very, very busy running two bids and some exciting projects ahead, many, many colourful global retail brands and many fascinating independents as well. So you'll have to come back and tell us a bit about this in the new year and look forward really to, well, (laughs) look forward to seeing you on a horse and carriage very soon down on the King's Road. So thank you very much to Stephen Medway, who's Chief Executive at Knightsbridge Partnership at Kings Road Partnership, to new business improvement districts in West London. And you can obviously go down and see the Christmas lights in a few weeks there and experience many, many of the fantastic things that Stephen talked about this afternoon. So thank you very much for listening. Thanks very much, as ever, for supporting Propcast over the last five years. You can subscribe by going to Apple, Amazon, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Search PropCast, leave us a review, send us some reviews, whichever you prefer. And don't forget to keep checking propertyweek.com for updated news and analysis. And we'll see you again very, very soon. I've been Andrew Teacher. Thanks very much. Take care.